Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's Monday morning, everybody. Actually, yeah. At, well, in two minutes, it'll be Monday morning. Yep. Yeah. Late night podcast coming at you. Andrew Maxwell here with the Southern Outdoorsman. And uh, with me, I have Which No one? Show Myers. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Jacob was supposed to come scout with me and Tyler today. I didn't confirm. If you go through the text, there was no confirmation. <laughs> so, uh, you're supposed to come scout. So, No Show Myers, Ginger Bow Hunter. Moneybag Myers. Um, there's another one that I'll save for later. Okay. 
I won't, I won't let that one out of the bag just yet. We got to save some nicknames for the future. The man of many nicknames, Jacob Myers. How mm. are you doing? Doing good. The legend. The legend. <laughs> Another, <laughs> maybe, maybe not for all the good reasons. <laughs> but uh, yeah, dude. Oh man, it's been a crazy, it's been a crazy week, been a crazy weekend. Yeah. To say the least. Been busy traveling back and forth, going heading over to Atlanta and and uh dude was able to kind of get and go fishing but before that um you and tyler malone from the unrested left mm. me left <laughs> me behind we oh man we were so we we're like jacob because we where we met we could see your marine like the marina where your little houseboat was we're like He's over there right now. We could go just kick his door in. <laughs> I was worried about that for real. I was like, man, they're probably going to – they might come over here. They might just be like that. <laughs> we, were, we were this close to doing that, man. Dude, I would, dude you would have scared the crap out of <laughs> Should have just done it. I did. I'm not going to lie. Like, this, you know, the sun was coming up. And, like, all of a sudden, like, a big wave must have hit the boat, like, in the marina. And, like, it rocked. Like, someone got on the boat. And, dude, I popped up. It was like, I swear, it's like, I swear to God, I said, hey, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I should have, man, I should have just come over there and, like, thrown water on you. Like, what? I would have freaked out, dude. <laughs> been so uncomfortable. It's time to scout, boy. Yeah, that would have been fun. Yeah, me and Tyler went scouting. It was a, it was a good time. We climbed a mountain. It was fun. Found That's some it. bucks on. Yep. Found probably one of the coolest buck beds in the way you described it. Yeah. I haven't seen the video yet, but. Yeah. There'll be a little booty on our YouTube channel about it. A little what? A little video. Oh, that's not what I thought you said. <laughs> I don't know what I said. I'm tired. I woke up at 3 o'clock this morning, and it is now midnight. I did, hey, listen. Rocket, we're just going to hit the 24-hour mark, all right? <laughs> Let's keep it rolling. Let's go. <laughs> coming, at you, coming at you live action. Coming at you live. So... I saw a buck this morning when we scouted. So I thought you saw a couple bucks, man. The story keeps changing. <laughs> God, I swear. <laughs> so we saw a, a like mature buck and a yearling right off the bat, and uh, that was pretty cool because the yearling looked like a German Shepherd compared to the big mature buck. Oh, like yeah. their body, watching them stand side by side is pretty cool because their bodies are just so different. And then we went and parked and uh, walked in, saw a couple more deer, and went up on top of this big ridge and found a saddle and uh, found a bunch of buck sign in the saddle and then found a buck bed in the saddle, like three quarters of the way down the ridge. It's like a pretty steep ridge all the way down, but there's like this one little flat spot. It's like four feet of like flatness, and there's a bed right there. And there's a rock backdrop, and then that rock's got vines growing all over it. So he's got, like, a great little backdrop to lay up against, and there's hair all over it. And, uh, yeah, it sets up pretty perfect for, like, quote-unquote textbook buck bedding, like you you hear Dan Infault talk about. Mm -hmm. So we videoed it, and I'm going to post it tomorrow. Now, I'll tell you what, that would be really cool, again, if we had some cell cameras. Uh, hashtag if uh, not, well, I don't mm. say hashtag that's so stupid if any cell camera companies are out there leaving, <laughs> but anyways uh, but put a camera in on something like that and see really how often the uh, the bucks actually use that bed maybe we get an idea of who he is but it would be really cool kind of like I know I guess Dan's done but I know there's a couple other guys that had like 
left cameras. I know the hunting public shared someone that someone else had mm-hmm. a v- video of last year or photos of last year, you know, putting something over a bed like that and seeing not only there was one buck coming through, but there's multiple bucks using that same bed and kind of almost having like a progression of like, you know, their activity is kind of cool. So, yeah, especially, on a, spot, cool. especially on a spot like that. So, uh, unique, but, um, uh, so pretty much today y'all's goal was scouting or really yesterday now, yeah. Yesterday, your goal was to pretty much, I don't know, I mean, you were kind of locating, you know, checking out, I know you're trying to check out some access points. I know that was something that's kind of important to us on access. Oh, also, yeah. also, just kind of figure out the lay of the land since it's someplace you haven't really ever been before. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how did uh, the hills kick your butt? Or was it pretty good? It was, it was pretty good. Did you, pack in, did you pack in the sandbag? No, I didn't what bring were the you sandbag. Doing, man? I didn't bring the You're sandbag. You're telling me to walk around with the sandbag. You didn't even use man, it. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Got him in the act. I've been I've been hiking around with a sandbag in my pack trying to get in shape or 50, better shape. 15 pound sandbag. Mm. 50 pound sandbag. Oh, my bad. <laughs> I get I tried to give Jacob one and he was like, "No. <laughs> it's too heavy." <laughs> Jacob wouldn't take his sandbag. I had to go and put it on top of his car. It was a nice surprise when I went out there. I was like, oh, appreciate the present. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Things sticky <laughs> from the freaking duct tape. So Yeah, it looks like a giant kilo of cocaine or something. Yeah, it's cop, all wrapped cop up. polio. But, oh, what, what is that? My sand, if you want to deal with it, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The mountain wasn't too bad. I had a little bit of weight in there. I had tripod and water and stuff <laughs> all of five pounds oh yeah that's pretty hard you had probably more strapped to your chest with your camera do you talk about that camera mount well I, we kind of talked about no did we talk about it last week uh, i don't think we did i don't think we did we on the video when we did the peak design camera clip i think is what it's called peak design okay uh, yeah and it just it's just like a little camera clip where you can put it on your belt or your backpack strap yep. and camera slides into it and it stays there it's secure Mm-hmm. So I've hiked like four miles with it now. And that's what like uh, Aaron, um, what was Aaron's last name? Schneider. Yeah, well, is, it, is that what Aaron Schneider's using? Yeah, I, but I didn't. The first person I saw using it was Stephen Drake, who's another photographer. And I was like, that's pretty nifty. Yeah. I want one of those. So, yeah, that thing that thing made a, bit, a huge difference today. It was really nice having to not worry about the camera flopping around yeah. everywhere. Especially if you're just trying to like, you know, wear it around your neck or carry it, whatever. That would be kind of hands-free, but it's in a position that it's kind of protected. You know, if you're going to fall, you're probably going to fall on your side or on your back, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I've rarely – well, I lie. I have fallen forward when we went uh, small game hunting with Kevin Murphy in the <laughs> water twice. So, <laughs> both while having the camera. So. That, that little peak design thing, you, you could use that with uh, other – you could use that with a camcorder, too. Oh, dude. I just thought about climbing a tree. With that, to like, to like lock it on, because like that's like the one thing when I'm like climbing up a tree, like you know, I normally will strap it somewhere in my backpack or whatever, my camera. Yeah. But like, if I'm, because I'm thinking about maybe using a dry bag this year for putting like the camera actually in. But um, that would be pretty sweet to mount it on the back of your backpack, whatever. Some place that's like secure, that's got some structure to it, it's not going to fold out, whatever. Mm-hmm. When you're climbing up, hanging your stand or hanging your saddle, your platform, everything, you got it on your back, you could have that camera. Sh- you know, lo- it locks on, dude, to the bag. Oh yeah, it snaps and then you, in there. Then you can hang the you can hang the you hang the uh, camera arm, the shoulder, the you know, hang your backpack, and then just take the camera off, unlock it, and put it on your uh, your fluid head and be good to go, dude. That's pretty sweet. I didn't think about that until just now. 
Dude, it's guys, nice. y'all need to check that out. So what's it, what's it called again? Peak Design uh, Camera Clip. Okay, gotcha. I know it's Peak Design. Yeah, so y'all need to check that out. Especially get some really good feedback from our last week's episode, mm-hmm. talking, uh, you know, kind of self filming and and uh, kind of the budgets getting into it and what you can kind of expect. Um, so for any of those people kind of following up on that week's episode, you know, anyone's kind of looking for a way to maybe get your camera in and out of the woods in a safe way, but also allows it for quick access. Because the, the one thing that sucks is always when you have a camera in your bag and you run up with something super cool, like, oh, I want to film this. Like, maybe a deer gets up, whatever. You see a buck or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can't really get to your camera quick when it's in your bag. Yeah. But like, if it's strapped to your chest like that, too. Yeah. And then if you're just carrying it around, it's not flopping. Like, if you just have the little neck strap. Yep. Not like flopping around talking, everywhere. Yeah, talking DSLRs right now. Yeah, so it's, dude, it's awesome. It's really nice. I'm glad I got that thing. Awesome. So that was a game changer. Yep. So y'all packed around, packed around the hills and the mountains uh, in northern Alabama yesterday. Uh, had some fun. Oh, by the way, get covered in any ticks? I don't know. You probably ain't I had checked. one in my armpit. Ooh. Yeah, I took a shower a little while ago, so that um, wasn't fun. But at least it was only one, and at least that it was. Oh God. That you know. Of. <laughs> at least. It, at least it was only one that I know of. I'm sure we probably get someone out there like, man, why aren't you using permethrin or permethrin, whatever? Um, and I'm lazy. Dude, I've got some. And I'm like, if if it's worth taking the extra time before you go out, like the day before, spray all your gear down. Because, like, dude, I, I think it works. Because I used it during turkey season. I did not get a single tick on me until we went to Oklahoma. I was about and to say, and worn you out. Got and then, I was like, I was like, is that freckles? No, that's hundreds of. Big old ticks all over me. <laughs> Gee, that was traumatizing. I told Matt too. I was like, "Man, I'm done." Jacob needs to go to therapy. Yeah, dude. I get told the therapist where the ticks touched him. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that's terrible. Yeah, drop. Yeah, no, we won't go into that. All right, cool. So, kind of. So y'all did that. Seemed like y'all had great time. Well, y'all were doing that. I was catching fish or attempting yeah, to. You joker. Then, Jacob is this. Uh, clearly the smartest one out of all of us because he let me and Tyler go and do the grunt work and walk up and down mountains all morning through briars and everything and he was just sitting there catching crappie and then he's like so uh where'd you guys see drop me some pins <laughs> i did not say that at all i didn't even mention pins like oh i'll send you the pins later I'm like, oh, that's fine yeah okay. i'm just a generous guy yep but um <laughs> but no yeah y'all did that and i stayed up so last night got to gunners last night did some crop fishing he was like it was horrible, dude. It it was awesome. Depressing. So, like, the shad spawn, I guess, was, like, a month ago or whatever. So, there's there's baby shad everywhere. I mean, dude, they're, like, an inch long, inch and a half long. They're everywhere around the marina. And uh, right before it got dark, I turned the uh, the overhead light on over the water. It kind of, you know, holds the bait fish there. And, dude, I swear the whole slip, 65-foot long slip, boat slip, completely full of shad, like all different sizes from, I'm talking like microscopic itty things to like, you know, three inches long all over the place and fish were chasing them. It was crazy. So I'm like, oh man, it's going to be a good night. I had like, you know, three dozen or four dozen, no, three, yeah, three dozen minnows. Caught two big crappie right off the bat, like 14 inch crappie and another one, I don't know, like 12 something. And uh, dude, did not catch another crappie the whole night. Stayed up till 1 a.m., did not catch another crappie. <laughs> I got to the point, I was catching a bunch of like those little white bass. Actually, I didn't even catch a whole bunch of those. But, you know, we always catch white bass up there. And, uh, uh, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to botch his name. Uh, kayak Catfishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy from uh, East Tennessee. 
Uh, by the way, y'all need to check out his YouTube channel. It's called Kayak Catfishing. Catches like trophy size giant catfish, blues in uh, yeah. blues in flatheads out of his uh, out of his kayak. It's legit. But anyways, he loves using those white bass for uh, catfish and uh, catfish bait. Well, turn to find out, bass love those suckers, as we found out today. <laughs> and like, cause they fight. They're do. They're so like interject. They fight real hard. They they sh- you know they, they they'll turn on their side and. You know, the white will shine, especially in the light. Dude, so, you know, I, I hook one, hooked the little one, filling it up. And, dude, freaking big old bass was chasing it last night. I was like, oh, shoot, dude. And he'd come up and, I mean, sw- almost swallowed it. I mean, it was like, you know, it's probably a five, six-inch, you know, white bass. Swallowed it. And I'm like, you know, it's on, it's on four-pound test. Anyways, get him next. I'll try. I go to net him. I freaking miss him with the net. And then he jumps out and spits the hook out. I'm like, oh, whatever. And then I caught a gar last night, and that was it. If I would have brought my bow last, uh, I guess it was last week. I went up there and brought my bow, mm-hmm. one of my old bows, and yeah. have it set for bow fishing. And uh, shot at some gar and missed them. Well, this I should have had Man. it this time because it was like open season, dude. Gar were swimming through the bait <laughs> ball all the time. Like, so, and again, I, I brought the brought the arrow, or I guess they called arrow, and uh, yeah, my line just forgot to bring the bow. I guess. Guess I took the it out. Most important part of the bow fishing kit, the bow. Yeah, yeah. Dang, man. You can always go buy another arrow in in in, the, in town. Man, yeah. We saw a huge bass today, dude. Huge. Okay, so we gotta talk about that. So you rolled up and scared the hell out of me while I had my had the headphones <laughs> in playing a podcast. I was fishing and you come on tap me on the shoulder. I was like, whoa, bud. <laughs> yeah, I snuck up on you. Yeah, and I had uh, I caught a couple of bass before you got there and. You know, just catching them off the pier, um, pretty much with I think what was I fishing with at that? I guess I was fishing with a fluke. A fluke, yeah, that's what I was catching them on flukes. Dude, there were schools. I mean, you saw the schools. Oh, dude, it was Got, ridiculous. Yeah, so so shout out to any fishermen, like legit bass fishermen on uh, Gunnersville. There was a huge school. There was a bunch of two and three pound bass. There was a mix of probably you know definitely some bigger bass with it too. But I caught some of them. And they, they all average, like, they're all at like two pounds. Um, but there was a ton, dude, I mean, a ton of them. I mean, it looked like a pack. 30 plus. Like a pack of wolves. A cloud of bass. Yes. A like, cloud of like, bass moved through the boat on, slope. Like, pull Jesus, walk on water on bass. I dude, mean, yeah. you. Oh, my. There was, I've never in my life seen that many bass together before. Yeah. That was crazy. And they were just swimming back and forth through about three or four slips, just wearing out the shad. Again, yeah. they're just huge, but you know, huge ball of shad. Push them to the surface, and they just blow up on them. We were joking about it. We're like these boat, these boat marinas are like the bow only zones of fishing. The urban bow only zones. I mean, yeah. it's just like the North Atlanta Giants, as we found out. <laughs> freaking trophy size, freaking bass swimming around, and guys can't get to them because you know, like where they were at was in front of an eighty foot freaking yacht, and then a sixty five foot yacht. I mean, they're not. You can't get a. You can't. You can't pitch your line all the way in there. I mean, I guess you could, but. There's a lot of there's a lot of lines and stuff, or a lot of ropes you might get all yeah get all hung in. So but, one, one of us hooked into a white bass and we were reeling it in, and then Nessie came out dude, after him. Which I kind of told you about that. I told you you know like, hey you know they'll, they'll kind of get aggressive. And we actually was everyone's like oh you know Gunnersville that you know they get a ton of shad. You know Tennessee River get a lot of shad and everything. That's what the bass are eating. Dude, these big bass are eating those white bass. I I promise you. I mean, because yeah. you saw, because we put brim down there, they could care less about the brim. Yeah, they didn't around. care about the brim, but, but that, those white bass, they were coming out for that. But listen, guys, if anyone out there is a big bass fisherman, if anyone knows a company that makes a swim bait that is like looks like a white bass, let like literally 
send that to me or send me like the link to it because I want to buy a couple because after seeing how they attack white bass over oh my brim, gosh, yeah. I want to buy some. Yeah. If he, I don't even know if anyone makes one, dude, to be honest, but I'm sure maybe it's Somebody small. should. Maybe you should start a bait company. No, I'm good. I'll just get the idea to somebody and just give <laughs> – I like royalties. You know? there, there you go. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. Yep. I was, okay, so Tyler caught, you know, roughly an eight-pound bass off that pier like a month ago. Yeah. The, that eight, that would fit probably in the mouth of the bass that we saw today. Yeah, when I saw it, I didn't think it was a bass. I thought it was like a drum. A giant. Like a giant right. drum. And then it came up like right to the surface. I was like, <sighs> oh, my God, that's a bass. Oh, my God, dude. I mean, uh, dude, I've never seen a fish. I've never seen a bass like that I mean, before. The, yeah, it was ridiculous. You I could mean, fit a whole chihuahua well, in its mouth. Oh, oh my god! Like, dude, if a cat or any small anything like that you was could swimming, fit a small mammal. Oh in its my! Mouth. It would have been done. Like that is what people go to Gunnersville for, okay? And I've seen one other bass that was similar, but not that big. That was on that dock, whatever. Mm-hmm. That thing was huge. I mean, yeah. and we saw it. I mean, we saw it multiple times up close on the surface of the water, trying to eat a dead white bass. Yeah, with a gar. The gar had the dead white bass. Oh yeah, so that was cool. There was a dead white bass floating around, and the gar and that big giant bass were like fighting over it, like on the surface, right in that front of us. That was insane. It was crazy. <laughs> that was really cool. The stuff you see at a boat dock. Yeah, but like easily, this it was a double digit bass. Like no joke, no hype. He he struck at that one you had on the line. Yeah, or, or came at it. Yeah, because I'd be reeling him in, and he'd come after it. Oh my god, dude! You talking about like shaking? Like I told you, I was like, man, if we catch that bass, that is like shooting a hundred and forty <laughs> inch buck or more or bigger on some Alabama high pressure Alabama public land. Like no joke. Like yeah, I was shaking, dude. I was over there like, oh my god, we gotta catch that thing, dude. <laughs> Freaking throwing everything at the books at it. Try to fluke multiple times. He'd come up like just look at it and bail off. Didn't like it. But uh, in the midst of trying to catch him. We caught another real good one, probably, you know, probably a really solid four and a half pound fish. That was the last time we saw him. Yep. Oh, he didn't like that. Yeah, no. He, he didn't. didn't appreciate that. No, he didn't. Huh. Yep. Well. Oh, that was today's sh- shenanigans. That, that was, yeah, that was today's fishing shenanigans. Damn. That was pretty cool. So. But, yeah. Fishing. Yep. And then had to clean some crappie. Caught some good crappie. Caught a l- legit 14 inch crappie, which was freaking awesome. Flays on that bad boy. Woo. Boy, that's what I'm talking about. That's no joke. Gotta do Andrew's little recipe on some uh, old bay and butter, pan fried. Oh, that's good stuff. Mm, delicious, as he says, it's like crab meat. But try to make it like crab meat. It's really delicate. Yep. It's good stuff. So, anyways, um, why don't we talk about velvet bucks hunting velvet bucks? Go to Kentucky. Yeah, hunt some velvet bucks. There you go. So, <laughs> yep, it's gonna be a fun time. Well, regardless, so in the South you got opportunities, <laughs> and Tennessee does a special velvet hunt on private land now, right? Yep. And we did uh, that last year, and I yeah. cooked in the stand the last day, 105 degrees. Yeah. Um, Kentucky opens early enough to get velvet. And actually, it kind of sucks for anyone hunting Kentucky this year. Their season actually opens later this year than it has in the past. I think it's almost like six or seven days later. Really? Like, don't quote me on that, but, like, because I was talking to Jordan about that, Jordan Barnes, and he's, like, kind of upset because normally it was, like, Labor Day weekend. It would open up or whatever, mm-hmm. so like, you know, first, second of uh, September. And supposedly it's, like, the sixth or seventh this year. And there's a lot of guys, like, on wow. hunting use form. They're like, well, like, hey, you know, if you're going to go to Kentucky – 
you're literally only going to have probably like a, two days maybe uh, to try to get a buck and velvet before they just absolutely shred it. So, Dang. Yeah. Hmm. But so yeah, that, I didn't know that. That sucks. I'll make it interesting. Kentucky opened on the first last year. Yep. Yes, yeah. and I, I think what uh, Jordan was saying because I think he called the DNR up there, and uh, that they were trying to do it like the way the dates work this year. The date it's been in the past wasn't going to fall on a weekend. They wanted it to start on a weekend, so they just like postponed it to the following week or whatever. However, the situation is. Yeah, then that might not be correct, but again, that's what I was told. Yeah, but dude, velvet hunting is cool. But the thing is, is like it's tricky, especially like with the Tennessee hunt. It's tricky because we had photos on the property we hunted in um, south of Nashville. Dude, we there was freaking some great deer there while we were hunting it. Yeah. Well, really, it was one day we. There's that one buck that was a giant. Yeah. Great buck. Yep. I'm gonna post that on our Instagram tomorrow. Yep. Yeah. So. Had a chance at him later in the season. If I could shoot a little bit farther, probably could have maybe shoot him. But I'm yeah, not, not comfortable at forty-five yards. But anyway, hindsight's twenty-twenty. No, it's just, I still want to shoot him. It's too far for what I want to shoot. <laughs> I'm not slinging an arrow. Yeah, that's, a, that's that's a good thing. Yeah. that's a, that's a long way to sling an arrow at well, a critter. Well, so, some guys are super comfortable with that. But again, that again that happened like that was November second, second fourth something. Yeah, second might have been the fourth. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was right after Muzzle season because I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So come to find out, guys. I don't know if we were, I think we talked about that. Had a DNR agent, uh, or TWRA game warrant, anyways. He called me. Um, because turns out, even if you hunt urban property during Muzzle season, you're still supposed to wear orange. Like if you're around houses, which I was around houses and did not have orange on. <laughs> so, anyways, mm. he gave me a call about that, but. Didn't yeah. get a ticket. He was real nice about oh, it. Oh yeah, no, he he was cool. He's was, he's was like, hey, just you know, he's like, I know. He's like, I do urban bow hunt too. I'm like, sweet, you're in the club then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's like, he's like, yeah, man. He's like, you you, you still gotta wear orange in muzzler season. He's like, I, I'm like, even in like a neighborhood. He's like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to go incognito over here, you know, so I don't have other lane owners around me like seeing me. He's like, yeah, I like know. this dude in blaze orange, like, like, who's oh, that guy? Well, and then also he, he asked, I'm like, I'm like. Can you take it off? Can you can you not take it off in the trees? Like no, he's like unlike Alabama. You know, if you're above like what 10, 12 feet, you can take your own. I think off. it's above twelve feet. Yeah, something like that. You can't, you can't do that in Tennessee. Yeah, no, yeah, that sucks. Well, no, no. no. I mean, it's not the worst. Just wear an orange hat. I think yeah, just wear an orange hat in your vest because you gotta have both. Yeah, in Tennessee, you gotta have both, and you cannot take either of them off in the tree. Yep. Which we found out from that officer. Because they got me, too, for that same thing. Yeah, because I think you, like, wore it in, and then, like, when you got in the tree, you, like, took the vest off or whatever. Yeah, I took the vest off, and I hung it in the tree next to me. Yeah. And he called, and he's like, yeah, you can't do that. Did he call you, too? No, he called you and told you to oh, tell me that. And then you called him, didn't you? I gave you Yeah, and then name. I called him. Yeah, I was like, appreciate it. What is his name? I think I got it saved in my phone. I can't. I don't I, know. I told him I wanted to get him on anyways, because he was pretty cool. Was kind of talking about like the day to day crap they got to go through. Yeah, seriously. Especially dealing with this velvet hunt, kind of getting back to the topic of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, the velvet hunt, you know, it's something that they're trying to like manage in a way, especially with the whole CWD thing, to like still make it fun for everybody, but still kind of keep people from trying to poach like days before. Like, because that's like the biggest issue is like someone going out trying to kill something middle of August, throwing it on ice, and like, oh, August 28th or whatever. Oh, look, look at this big old buck I killed. <laughs> I wonder how often that happens for real. Probably a lot, dude. I'm telling you, some of these guys killing giant deer. I'm like, 
Hmm. Raise an eyebrow. Yeah, fishy. Fishy, fishy. That that velvet hunt last year was pretty cool. That was the first year that they had done it, right? Yep. Yep. And, I mean, it was pretty good success. I saw a lot of people complaining about it. Well, the thing was, because it's open to the – it's private land, and for you to be able to hunt that, you know, a lot of guys that were having success, which I found – well, I think I've already told you, but, well, anyways, I won't go there. Um, about another hunter. Um I think a lot of guys were complaining because if you didn't have ag, because, you know, oaks, nothing was dropping. Mm-hmm. Persimmons weren't even dropping. Like, there was no mass crop. Yeah, was, this is like end of August. Yeah, there's so nothing. there's nothing. So you're hunting like green, you're hunting, you know, browse, and only the guys that were having like a lot of success or people having a lot of success was hunting ag. Mm-hmm. And they were out there, kind of like you do in the Midwest, you're patterning where they come out in the field every night, slip in there, shoot them at night, you know, shoot them in the afternoon when they were coming out. Uh, the ones kind of like situations like us where you're just kind of hunting, hopefully you're hunting a bed to food pattern, even though there's no like defined food pattern in that yeah. area, other than maybe a neighbor, maybe having corn out or something, who knows? Uh, it's a lot tougher. And I think that's what I heard from a lot of guys like, oh man, it's bull crap. Like, what the crap? <laughs> get on, get on Tennessee uh, deer hunting uh, page and people are like, oh my God, man, all these guys killing big deer. I ain't killing nothing. A lot of people, I'll tell you what was hilarious. Did you see people complain last year about like, all oh, the big bucks are going to get killed early and they're not going to have no breeder deer running around. Yeah. that ca- I heard guys say all the time, I'm like, You're, you sir are an the, idiot. Uh, I, yeah, I saw a bunch of that. I was like, listen, ooh. listen, this Oh, people! People like that drive me crazy. Yeah, I'm like, everyone's I, a Facebook biologist. Oh God. Yeah. Was, all the big deer all, get killed. All, early. all the breeders are gonna get killed. I I saw multiple guys like all the breeders. I hate that term breeders. All the breeder bucks are gonna get all killed. All the breeder bucks. I'm like, man, we're not high, we're not hunting a high fence property. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, if you're that worried about that, then just don't hunt until the rut, I guess. Yeah, save don't your hunt deer. till after the rut. Yeah, save your deer. Let them get it all out of their system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh. Oh, okay. Enough. Enough crap talking about Facebook people. <laughs> oh no. I mean, I can't. I can't. I don't think I know any of their names. I just remember those conversations coming up. So. Yeah, I do too. Um, that velvet hunt was what me when me and you were hunting it. We we didn't have agriculture or anything. We just had that urban property that was pretty much like straight bedding cover. Yeah, I mean, it had browse, especially in the back corner. It had a lot more browse than everywhere else because this again an old cattle, you know, cattle farm. Yeah, um, feral pastures. Yeah, which dude, I love hunting stuff like that. Oh, oh yeah, that's cool. Especially like if you have the chance to manage that. Oh my god, run a couple of fires to that. Oh my god, mm-hmm. it would be ridiculous. <laughs> oh man, oh god, I cannot believe that's getting turned into a subdivision right now, though. Like literally right now. So well, that's depressing. That at least no, I, no, I got all my cameras off that property. I, I don't know if you did. I hope I did. <laughs> Jacob still got cameras up in a place. Oh, I almost said it. Put that. Yeah, no, that's why I did that. I was like, "Don't you say it?" But uh, yeah, still got a cam. Oh yeah, dude, we gotta go. When are we gonna get that camera? Never. Who wants? Well, no, no, I gotta go and sell. Can't let anyone see that spot. <laughs> that's that's the thing, man. When you're running cameras, you gotta pick who goes in with you. Or if anyone to check them, it's gotta be a secret. Actually, I guess we're getting it thirteenth. Double checking that time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, okay. So on the velvet hunt, I'll definitely. For anyone that's trying to do that velvet hunt, probably the biggest thing for you for sure is like right now you should be trying to go get permission 
If you don't have any like private land that you can hunt on, dude, you better be knocking on doors. And if it, personally, if it was me, I'd find some little farmers, like little properties. I want to try to get the big ones because uh, most likely they're going to already have people on them or vice versa. But again, it's a numbers game. But uh, dude, I would try to find some small farmers or people around farms that have ag, especially if they got soybeans. Soy, forget corn. Who cares about corn? You want to find beans. Right Bean. now, oh yeah, just literally get out there, drive some county roads, find beans, and start knocking on doors, getting permission. I don't think it'd be that hard because it's it's just a three day hunt. I think it'd be super easy to be like, hey, just get permission for a three day hunt. Maybe I don't know, dude, bake them a pie or something. Yeah, I mean, when we were in uh, North Alabama last year, on the subject of getting permission, you went to a couple different houses and you're like, hey, we're only here for like two days. Do you mind if we access through your property or hunt off the backside of your property? And people were like, yeah, sure. No, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, there is. Like, a lot of people, especially if you tell them it's only for, like, a little bit of time, like, I'm not going to do it in all season. Especially if it's a place kind of like North Alabama where we're hunting, where it's, like, limited hunting. Like, you know, it's only for X amount of time. And kind of like that velvet hunt. People are like, oh, yeah, that's that's cool. You know, it's just for a couple of days, whatever, no big deal. And most people are like, okay, yeah, that's fine. As long as someone else isn't already hunting it. That's the, that's the number one thing. Mm-hmm. If you knock on one of those doors and one of the guys are hunting, like he was like hunting the backside of his property, he's like, hell no. <laughs> Keep on walking, man. But, um, yeah, but th- that's what I would be doing right now in Tennessee is just knocking on doors, trying to get permission. That's like how the guys from uh, Seek One Productions, mm-hmm. which, again, if nobody knows about Seek One Productions, you guys are Check left, them out. left in the cold. Uh, anyways, just kind of a little overview. Uh, big Irving uh buck killers from north atlanta uh one of them i think moved to nashville maybe they didn't they, they said that to a lot of people but i heard they were telling they were they were bending the truth around some people to try to get those permissions they did a, they do a good job they do a really good job getting permission <laughs> but uh because you, you gotta have a sappy story you gotta work it you gotta work it you gotta work it you gotta work it and uh anyways they had a couple properties and i think they just had one for that velvet hunt and on the north side of Nashville, and dude, they were chasing some big deer, freaking slung arrows at them, missed them. But uh, again, it's not hard, especially especially if you can network. Like if you if you live in Tennessee, maybe you can network around. But if you don't live in Tennessee, but you know some people that do, man, networking is fantastic. It's not necessarily about who you know, but it's who do you know that might know somebody? Yeah. Who can you possibly get an introduction with, especially on a hunt like that? Yeah. So, so if somebody's wanting to do a velvet hunt this year, they're like, I want to kill a velvet buck, and maybe they want to do it in Tennessee ooh. or maybe Kentucky. Or so, Georgia. Georgia opens on the 8th this year. I saw velvet bucks last year in Georgia. Yeah, I mean. In hunting season. Most guys, I mean, said, like, you know, the first week of season, you have a chance to kill a velvet buck. Yeah. Depending on the area. Because, you know, some deer, depending on – I don't know if it's genetics, biological reasons, whatever, will shed quicker or later than others. Mm-hmm. So it kind of depends on where you're at. But, yeah, dude, there's a chance to kill one. So, I mean, that's definitely the ones in the south is definitely you got Tennessee. You got, of course, Tennessee. Then you got Kentucky and Georgia. Uh, south Carolina, if you get private land, you can do the, that private land hunt. And, yeah. like, the youth season opens, like, August 15th for the rifle. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. But it's, but it's all coastal, too. So, like, you're down the co- on the coast side, the south side of um carolina i was talking to a guy out there thomas hicks and um he was telling me like where he lives which is on the north side of the state they don't have that season but if you go to the south side of the state kind of around the coastal waters that's where they have that kind of that uh real real early like rifle season everything that's insane and that's the only reason i joined the uh carolina deer hunter page is to see some of the deer that get mm-hmm. killed yeah so it's pretty cool but 
Yeah, I mean, best luck would probably be, well, it depends on what you're trying to do. You know, if you think you can get, knock on doors, get permission, definitely Tennessee is going to be a fantastic option. Uh, Kentucky's got a bunch of public land. Georgia's got a bunch of public land. Kind of getting run around on. Um, Georgia would probably be the hardest. Georgia would definitely be the hardest, I yeah, think. Yeah, because you're, you're de- it's, it's nice to go someplace that has ag. Yeah. And up to my recollection, for everything I know, there's not a whole bunch of public land on on uh, in Georgia that has a lot of ag. Yeah. There, I mean, there's definitely a lot of ag in Georgia, especially like South Georgia. Mm-hmm. But again, it's like you're trying to get to the right stuff. That's that's like where you get kind of yeah. kind of get iffy. Where you go to Kentucky, most well, not gonna say most public. Land. There's a lot of public land in Kentucky yeah. that has ag on it. Yeah. There's um, a lot of opportunity up there. Oh yeah. You might run into the hunting public too while you're there. So. <laughs> yeah, you could. I'll just- Jordan said he's sleeping on that freaking riverbank. By the way, he's taking a hammock going in there a day early. Sleep, yeah. Anyways, I don't blame him with what he saw last year. Yeah. So guys, our buddy Jordan Barnes had uh had uh who it was Aaron and Ted rolled up on his spot. Um, <laughs> uh, again, his spot. He had a stand there thing hung right there on the riverbank, overlooking a, a bean field, and uh, they rolled up on him while he was paddling and everything. He had a conversation. But uh, he's like, he's like, by God, they're not getting my spot next year because they were talking about like there was multiple spots they both had pinned. Both Aaron and Jordan had pinned like the same spots like where they wanted to hunt. He's like, I promise <laughs> you, I'll be sleeping on that riverbank uh, come opening morning. <laughs> Great minds think alike. Yep. So. so if somebody's wanting to let's let's actually talk about the actual hunting now about like hunting deer that early. Ooh, I love it. How's it different? Uh, well, you're just bed to food. That's all you're worried about. Yeah. Especially if you can deal deal with ag. Now, if you don't have ag, if you're hunting a piece of public that doesn't have ag, like let's give an example like Kentucky. If you're hunting a place that doesn't have ag that early in the season, you might have persimmons starting to drop. I know, I know, in Tennessee, persimmons were dropping first week of September. Yeah, because the season, or maybe second week of September. Se- um, season opened in Tennessee last year, September fifteenth, I believe, mm-hmm. and they were already, you know, dropping, uh, for sure. So it was real early for persimmons to drop. Well, dude, that's how I killed that second doe. Were they green? No, heck no. Really? Yeah, they were. Dude, you smell them from my freaking long ways away. Me, 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 and uh, uh, Nick Adair went scouting first week of September in one area because mm-hmm. he wanted. He was a place that he's gone to quite a bit, but not for hunting, but for like training and everything. And uh. He's like, yeah, this might be pretty cool. So I'm walking, dude. Persimmon trees everywhere, loaded, loaded. Because in Alabama, I'll find a persimmon tree that holds until like December. No, no, yeah. no, I mean, but not up there. No, not from what I saw. They were. Yeah, like, no, that's probably not because they get y'all get a frost earlier up there. By October, done. Like, yeah, no, I found them well into December in Alabama. Yeah, I found some in Arkansas that held real late like that. But the only time I've seen them like that is where you don't have a whole bunch of squirrels getting up in there, shaking, like, knocking them all out. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. So, yeah, early season food sources like that, like super early season food sources. And the the thing is, super early food sources, hopefully maybe you have some fruit. Again, talking, you know, persimmons. um, See, what what would be some other soft mass that would maybe you could key in on depending on your area? I mean. Come on, you're, you're you're the plant expert cherries cherries a fruit tree that grows there might be some cherries crab apple muscadines maybe i don't know i've never i don't don't think i've I've ever found a crab apple tree ever oh really never 
dude, piece of public land that we hunt quite a bit in Alabama. I found them out there before. And deer eat them. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Where? I can't, I can't tell you on the freaking podcast, but after the <laughs> podcast, I'll tell you. I'm very interested to hear this. Yeah. But, like, and I've seen them on other pieces, too. And, like, a lot of people don't think deer eat crab apples. Dude, I've seen ear deer eat crab apples out of someone's front yard like nobody's business. Huh. It's like reaching up there, dude, getting their hind legs going after them. So, um, also, that urban piece in... Yeah. yeah anyways, okay, okay, okay. Not yeah. the, in Alabama, not the one up in, in Tennessee. Okay, okay, okay. Um, the one we I used to hunt, um, it had a ton of crab apples on it, too. Like, dude, and the deer would freaking eat the crap out. But anyways, okay. Uh, so, you get soft mass, early season that you can kind of hit, hit on, like real early season. Get them talking. Kind so, of, like, so persimmon. Persimmons, muscadines. Crab apple, if you muscadines. Can, if you can find muscadines, dude, I think that would be really good. But the problem is... My problem is, is like finding them. It's like like consistent. A lot of times you'll find them, but it's like there's like a vine here and there. Yeah, but it's, it's nothing. It's like you can't really hunt it unless yeah. there's a big fence row or something that's covered. Um, yeah, and the acorns aren't dropping, so you really can't rely on that. Other than that, one thing that I typically see deer, no matter where I'm at, later in summer I always see deer hammering poke salad. Yep. So if you could find like a good little stand of poke salad. I mean, they hit it hard enough to where I would probably hunt over it. In Alabama, if we had a season that early, mm-hmm. I would hunt over it. Because I've seen them eat it all the way to the, like, eat it down to where the stalk is like an inch thick. Yeah. And they're, they're eating the stalk down to where it's that thick. They love it. Yeah. So, that but, might be something to key in on. Which, if anyone doesn't know about that plant, just Google it. Yeah, it's, an idea. it's got purple berries that stain everything. Yeah. Turkeys get in it, and they eat those berries, and it makes their heads purple. It's funny. <laughs> there you go. Andrew's, Andrew's logic for you. Um, and then, again, the biggest thing, again, if you're hunting ag, finding beans. Again, corn is not going to help you because you can't hunt a cornfield. It's going to be too tall. It's going to be too much to deal with. you got to find beans, soybeans. If you can find beans, and again, especially in, like talking Kentucky, if you can get in there a couple days before season starts, especially trying to hunt, hunt you know, opening week, whatever, and glass some fields, like find some of these isolated fields from everyone that I know that's been having success in Kentucky, especially like the first, second time they've gone, is finding isolated fields that you can't see from the road. Yeah. So kind of look at that on a map, try to find some isolated fields that you can kind of either hike into, whatever, and just glass. You know, climb up a tree, because a lot of times the beans are going to be probably tall enough where you're probably not going to see a whole bunch of them on the ground. Mm-hmm. So if you can get elevated in the saddle, tree stand, whatever, Get comfortable and, you know, at dusk, you know, try to pick out your deer. You might do pretty good on that. Yeah. And then really, you're, again, you're just trying to find a pattern. I mean, you're, there's nothing else that's really going to work that early. Um, and, again, they're going to be bachelor groups, too. So I mean, Yeah, yeah. They'll have a group of bucks, like, and I've, you know, I've heard people say, like, that they travel. Like, the younger ones will come out first and everything, which I guess is true to some extent. So that's something to keep in mind. You'll yeah. Have, you're going to have a group of deer. In front of you, you're going to have a lot of different eyes, so concealment. Mm-hmm. One thing that's really important is the bedding habits for early season deer, where they're all bedded together, and they're typically bedding right on top of their food source. Very good point. Excellent. So Excellent. You, Excellent point. Yeah, cause, so you can't, like, if you see them squirting out into this field in the evening, you can't just go blowing in there because they're probably bedded 40 yards off the edge of it. Yeah, somewhere wherever they have shade. That's a really good point. I know that was the case in um, in Kentucky for sure. When it came to beans, a lot of the deer were bedding, I mean, within a rock throw distance of the beans. Or even oh, yeah. in the beans. 
depending mm-hmm. on what the situation if there's a little gully in the beans. I know in Tennessee, the day I shot – I believe yeah, it was the day I shot my doe in Tennessee, early season, like fourth, fifth day of the season, they were bedded around some beans and also some um, uh, persimmons, like all right – like in a perfect little spot. Yeah. So, I mean, literally they could step out, eat beans, or literally go 30 yards and eat some persimmons and that was already on the ground. So I'm like, you know, that's the kind of thing. It kind of makes it almost hard because you want to hunt that food source, but they're bedding so close to the food. It's like, how do you get in there, you mm. know, smart? Because, I mean, you got, you know, going early. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of early season hunting mornings. Yeah. Just just because it's kind of one of those things you're trying to get in there and it's like. Trying to beat them. Yeah, you're trying to beat them to a bed. Unless you know a food source where they're lingering. That's the cool thing. If you're hunting like ag where you can actually glass, go out in the morning, like during season or before season, and see if you can catch them still in the field, you know, past, you know, gray light. Mm-hmm. And maybe make a play on them, you know, for the ne- the following day or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. But. Yeah, so with uh, like hot, with warm weather bedding, which these last few times I've been scouting, I've been looking at like, warm weather specific beds just really out of curiosity more than anything else and i'm finding pretty much all of them are down in little kind of in the lowest spots mm-hmm. uh and like creek bottoms or little divots next to the fields that we were around today you'll find beds down in those areas where it's just low lying and dirt you know like it's cool it's cool yeah, yeah. like the beds are worn down to the dirt and I don't know if it's because they use them so much, or I think they might actually like kick them out, kick them out, yeah, to get to the cool dirt. Like some of them actually kind of looked like that, and um, so that's something to consider the bedding, because um, if you go blowing in there, you're gonna screw everything up. Yeah, you gotta be smart, especially early season. You gotta be really smart with food sources. I mean, like you said, you don't want to be just rolling up in there, you know, without you know yeah. head on a swivel. You know, also being paying attention to the wind, also paying attention to your access points, because also early season, especially if there's guys been already going out there, you're going to find deer bedded, especially if your access has to go by food, like stocking ag or whatever. Mm-hmm. A lot of times those deer are going to position themselves between that access point and the food. Like you're going to possibly walk by deer and blow deer out. Yeah. So kind of maybe think a little more creatively how you can get into some areas. Uh, I saw that a ton of times in Tennessee, especially around some of those fields. Is like, dude, they just they position themselves. There'd be a little tiny little tree line or something between you and the field. They freaking bed right there when you got to come around the corner, and boom, you get deer blowing at you. You think they do it on purpose? Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. I, oh yeah. I, especially some of the older ones, especially does, dude. I mean, hands down. And a lot of times, like, um, who did we talk to? Who was I talking to? Um. Talking about seeing a deer in like wide open. Um, oh, it, it was uh, uh, Lou Hill, who, guy we're gonna have on the podcast coming up. Guy from uh, Central Alabama, just a deer killer. I didn't tell you this, Andrew, but uh, I was talking about hunting pressure and how you know we've seen that deer like the bed on access routes on public land. Okay, and he's like, dude, he's like, I've seen that before. He's like, I've also seen how they a lot of times won't move even though they see you and they'll let you walk right by. He's like, one time he was hunting a piece of public that. You've hunted before. I haven't really hunted uh, all that much. And um, was on the backside of this little field, got up in this climber. He was sitting there, and these two guys started walking to the field, like, at daybreak, you know, on a gun day, you know, of course. coming yeah, good old public land. Coming in late. And uh, Lou was like, oh, man, well, he's like, whatever. And he looked down, and there was a doe that he had seen earlier bed down, like, right there in front of him, like 30, 40 yards, okay? Mm-hmm. And he's off the field a little bit. 
And uh, she's just sitting there, and, like, these guys start walking up past her. And she's, like, it's, like, he said it's, like, wide open pines. But there's a, there's a little bit of brush down there. But from above, everything was, like, clear. Like, he can see everything. But on the ground, you know, it's got a little bit, you know, it breaks up just a little bit. And he said those guys walked within, like, 20 yards of this doe. And a big doe, she was just sitting there. And he said she'd, like, just watch him, watch him, watch him, watch him, watch him. And the second they got, you know, 40, 50 yards from him, she stood up and stepped back, like, walked backwards, back behind some more stuff, and they turned and walked off. <laughs> and he's like, really? And, yeah, he's like, it blew him away. And he said he's seen stuff like that previously before but he's like that's the first time it happened right there in front of him and he was able to witness that that'd be cool to see so i mean she, i don't doubt that at all yeah it was a, he said it was a big old doe and um anyways and he was like it's you know he's seen stuff like that happen and he's like he's always sees on some of these access points deer bedding on them or right off them and when you walk by and you know, all these logging roads freaking they blow up and take off but he's like i wonder how many times you walk by and they don't move they, yeah they, they sit there and stare at you they sit there and stare at you and uh, I've I've heard of guys uh, actually uh, Jacob uh, Emery from the hunting ground talk about that in uh, Kentucky the biggest buck he's ever seen in his entire life he was working his farm you know doing some work at the farm that he hunts on as his grandfather's and his grandfather's riding around and they drive down one of the logging roads and he said he just like they stopped and they were talking he just looked over and this giant buck is sit is bedded you know, like 20 30 yards off the trail looking right at him but like he's not moving. And he said he looked at him. It was like during bow season, whatever. But you know, he didn't have anything with him. And he saw the deer, and he's like, he just blew away like how big this buck was. But he was bedded right there, wasn't moving. He's like, just so happenedly, we stopped and looked over, and he was sitting there. But he's like, if we didn't do that, just kept driving, the deer would have never moved. And uh, finally, the deer got up and you know, kind of trotted off. But hmm. I'm telling you, that happens all the time, and a lot of people just don't realize it. Yeah, that's something I was told a lot as a kid. There, I, I had people like the adults that I would hunt around would always be like, "Yeah, they'll sit there and they'll watch you and they'll they'll pattern you just like you're trying to pattern them," which I think is true. To be honest with you, I think it's true to a certain point. I mean, they're not. I don't think they're capable of like figuring you out. No, but I think I think it's kind of like anything. I think with nature, when something continuously happens to them, where like a predator or like something they're running to that they don't like. Yeah consistently in one area they know hey either i'm not going to go there if i'm going to go there i'm taking a route where i can see hear, or smell what's in that area yeah and uh i mean for sure I've, I've seen that time and time again especially when it comes to bedding i mean dude you know especially like some of these places we hunt where you get like um uh, oil well or gas wells whatever mm-hmm. i mean dude they're bedding around the back side of them i mean they're bedding right off the edge of them yeah, oh, and yeah. it's like one reason because the workers are coming by and they kind of hear that and they probably don't even move to be honest if the workers there but they can hear people walking down because it's gravel. I mean, dude, it's, mm-hmm. it's like a foolproof place. And they normally set up with the bet because it's normally like a berm on the backside. The wind from all the beds I've seen looks like the wind's coming from the gas well towards them. Mm-hmm. You know, they get their back to it. Then they're looking down the hill in front of them. I mean, dude, it's like you can't – not much you can do with that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, deer entertaining, man. They – like I don't I don't know how much they're able to like reason and figure stuff out, but like you said, they they identify patterns and they they know stuff. And I'm always curious to think about when deer bedding, like how much how much are they like able to tell about their surroundings? It's like how how um in tuned are they with like wind direction and like how I, I well here here's what I'm trying to say. It's like, I know that they use wind direction, but how in tune with it are they? Because you hear guys talking about, like, 
oh, this this knob right here sets up for north northeast north or whatever. Yeah, we've talked northeast, about that before. Yeah. Blah blah blah. And I'm I'm just wondered how how fine their their comb is for that kind of stuff. Yeah, that'd be cool to see a study or something on that. And I don't know how you would do that study. Maybe run a call. Maybe run collars on bucks and. When they go to when they're not moving for a considerable amount of time on a GPS collar, see where they're bedding, see what the wind direction is, and see if it makes sense. That would be actually I don't think that'd be all that difficult. Yeah, um, that I think it's Penn State did that deer research study where they collared the deer for the whole season, and you could see its location, and you can like watch the time lapse of it. And I've watched that a whole bunch of times now. And that buck that, or one of the bucks I guess that they had collared, bedded in the same spot for like most of the season mm-hmm. i mean yeah it, it was probably like about a couple acre area like a bedding area um but it, it was like that same spot basically on the map that that thing bedded very consistently and then that was like i think it was kind of far off the road and then at the end of the season that buck moved and started bedding like right up next to the road which is weird but I found it interesting how much he bedded in the same location in like a and this is like in a big timber, big wood setting. It's not ag or anything like that. It's a place where where when me and you were talking about a place like this for like he's got a lot of options. He can go all these different places, but he just continued to bed in that one same general area. And he had excursions where he would go out to other places, but the majority of his time was spent in that one area. Which uh, Dan Infault was talking about on a podcast I heard the other day. Yeah, and I'm sure that um, a lot of that's probably learned behavior from you know being in a bachelor groups in the summertime. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the deer, I, I think that also like old does, like old does, like real old does in public land. When they're you know raising their fawns, and everything they're doing things a certain way that you know these younger deer that are dying aren't doing. Yeah, and then their fawns are kind of learning that same habit. And I'm sure it's probably the same, similar with bucks. You know, some bucks are just different. They just have, you know, like some people talk about like deer are kind of like humans in the aspect of, you know, some of them just have different personalities. Some are more aggressive than others. Mm-hmm. You know, some are more passive. And then some, when it comes to bedding. Some are probably dumber. No, well, just not, you know, dumber, just more um, maybe high strung. Just whatever the situation mm-hmm. is. Again, I don't, I don't know. I'm not reading the freaking deer's mind. No, I don't really care either on that. But it's just kind of curious how that might would work on, you know, there's their – interaction with their environment and i think a lot of things is you know they probably i i I feel you know when deer coming up you know say a say a a buck fawn buck fawns with his mother up until the rut she kicks him out and he does his own thing when he's like when he's betting everything he's betting like with those does and those doe family groups whatever kind of as he's coming up you know you know as a yearling from there he's in bachelor groups in the summertime he's you know probably going with other bucks and everything else learning maybe a little bit different trait of how they bed, you know, kind of doing their whole thing, especially if you see like mule deer and everything else, you know, these big bachelor groups, you know, they kind of, the way they bed and everything, you know, you normally have the, from what a lot of people say that dominant buck or the bigger bucks in the, in the group take some of the more prize bedding again, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, and then the other deer bed around. And I think again, satellite bedding. Exactly. But again, kind of living together, I think those younger deer learn from the older deer, kind of the whole situation. They just kind of go from the, and the dumb ones, like you said, that don't learn anything. They get killed first. It's mm-hmm. kind of just, you know, not really Darwinism, but. Yeah, I mean, that's natural selection. Yeah. And then, you know, the smarter ones make it to older age class and be able to kind of have the best bedding and kind of figure that stuff out. But when mm-hmm. it comes kind of full circle, I feel like when they bed in certain areas, it's because they've had 
success in those not really success. They they betted that before and they winded it. They winded a coyote or something. They're like you know, they can smell a coyote or something. Yeah. Or hey, they feel like they have protection because they have something back behind them. And they can kind of smell stuff. Again, I think it's just a learned behavior. So yeah, know. yeah, you're probably right. I need some pet deer to try it out. There you go. <laughs> that probably wouldn't work though. Yeah, I firmly believe in the theory that that some like well, this goes for deer and turkeys that some are just like a little bit more willy nilly than others, and those are the ones that get killed pretty quick. Oh yeah, opening day of turkey season, Central Alabama. Oh, everything's just getting blasted. Mm-hmm. As all those dumb ones or all the talkative ones getting. Who did I? I think I asked. We when we interviewed Brandon Bobo about that, he's an NWTF biologist, and I asked him about that. I'm like, is it, is it possible that, that like the birds who tend to gobble more, that t- tend to have a more talkative personality, get killed sooner, and so we're like naturally naturally selecting them out of the population. Yep, and that genetic, yeah. Yeah, and people say the same thing with deer. They're like, well, if we. Uh, if we specifically target big bucks, then we're selecting out those genes out of the gene pool, which is impossible. I mean, it was hilarious because they don't think does carry genetics yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, they that's don't, a can clearly, of worms. Clearly, they don't they don't understand how they got their genetics from both parents, mother <laughs> and father, not just the father. God, stuff like that is so stupid. Oh, that's a can of worms. Big can of worms. Yeah. So velvet hunting. Uh, I hope we covered at least a little bit of it. It was kind of the gist. I mean, a lot of it, you're just going to have to go out there, you know, whether you're knocking on doors, get permission, or hunting pu- public or private, or hunting public. Um, and then from there, whether you're hunting ag or non-ag, that kind of is the biggest determining factor. If you're hunting non-ag, then, boy, you know, it, you know, somebody else like, hunt, hunt water sources. That's cool. Deer, the, the vegetation deer's eating, they get most of their water from that, yeah. unless it's complete drought. Yeah, the only, yeah, I was about to say, Actually, the first deer I ever killed with a bow was in like an extreme drought in Alabama. And I mean, there was like, I can't remember what year it was, but there was like restrictions on how much water you could use. Because oh, I mean, yeah, we yeah. were in like real bad drought conditions. And I found all the creeks were dry. Every creek that I hunted was dry. And I found a water hole in one of the creeks in like a bend with like a little rock shelf over it. And I killed a doe over that. That was my first bow deer. That's pretty legit. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I put a camera on it, and it, dude, every every animal in the book was at that water hole. It was it was pretty cool. Yeah, I've I've kind of dreamed about because I've never hunted moments like that where it's just like real heavy droughts. Because I think if you could find like one of those hot water sources, it dude, was awesome. Dude, I bet you'd be so freaking awesome, dude. Oh, uh, it man. was so torn up. It was like a little cattle pond, dude. Like there was tracks all over it. Mm-hmm. Every animal in the book was there. I had coyotes, coons, turkeys, deer, everything on camera. Ooh, see that's like to me that's like a trying to hunt with traditional archery. That's like the dream right there. Hunting a oh, that's hole. spot, dude. 15, <laughs> Fifteen yards, twenty yards from it, dude. Eight hundred grain arrow. You watch out. That's no joke. Freight train coming. Freight train. Uh. Oh man. Wow. You... I'm put everybody to sleep with my yawns. Yeah, what are you doing, man? Come on now. <laughs> it's only Monday morning. Like, what are you doing? Yep. Good on Monday. Oh, let's... I got to go to work in a couple of hours. Oh, dude. Just, just stay up. Look, let's, we'll stay up, okay? Grab a couple beers. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> just make it. But, yeah, uh, so if you're if you're planning on doing a velvet hunt, I'd, uh, I'd figure out, first of all, where you're going to go. And I would spend some time learning uh, native plants 
that deer like to eat. I would start off with um with definitely poke salad. Um, maybe devil's walking stick. Um, ragweed. Mm-hmm. It's another good one. And a lot of things you find a lot of that in CRP. Yeah. Or really just clear cuts, like you know, two year old clear cuts, whatever. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I know the hunt, yeah. hunt public had great success. I, Ted killed his buck in Kentucky. He was hunting like a CRP kind of area, and they were kind of hitting that kind of food source, and that's what the yep. buck was he- feeding on. So. Yeah, yeah all kinds of green. Really, the best thing to do is to go out there and figure out, like, see what they're browsing on right now and just kind of figure out what browse looks like and how to identify it and then take pictures of those plants and learn how to identify those plants, which the best easy resource right now would be probably iNaturalist, which is is—it's—it's uh, called a, it's basically citizen science is what they call it. And you get on there and you can post a picture of a plant or insect or an animal or whatever. And either you can identify it or someone else will identify it. And if if your picture's good enough, like someone can identify it and be like, oh yeah, this is poke salad. And if your picture's good enough, they actually use it in a database. And so that's pretty cool. Like a scientific database. This is an app? Yes, it's an app. That you could get uh, on iPhone or Android. So iNaturalist, check it out. It's pretty cool. It'll help you learn a lot more plants and everything. And a lot of the plants that deer like to eat are not, like, they're not obscure plants. They're not that hard to learn. Like, there's stuff out there for them. Like, a lot of understory plants are very obscure, and there's not a whole lot on them. And it's hard to, like, research them just because nobody writes anything about them. Um, but most of the deer food that I know of gets, I mean, pretty, pretty wrote about like beggar's lice, uh, green briar, poke salad, all that good stuff. Well, Chinese honeysuckle. Chinese honeysuckle. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's another good one. Good job, Jakob. Yeah. Ginger bow hunter <laughs> coming at you. Ginger bow hunter coming at you. All right, everybody. Uh, if you got any suggestions for upcoming shows, I'll add us. And uh, we hope you have a great week. Boom. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.